After locking us all down for the better part of three years, depriving people of their livelihoods, forcing them to inject themselves with an experimental drug based on reasons that proved false, taking students out of school, forcing elderly loved ones to die alone, destroying businesses, closing churches and synagogues, and so on and so on, the COVID alarmists are now demanding that we just forget about everything and move on. Here is an NYU professor on Bill Maher explaining his reasoning. Well, I was on the board of my kids' school during COVID. I wanted a harsher lockdown policy, and in retrospect, I was wrong. The, the, the damage to kids of keeping them out of school longer was greater than the risks. But here's the bottom line. Myself, our, our great people, the CDC, I'd like to think the governor, we were all operating with imperfect information, and we were doing our best. So yeah, it's, 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 well. So let's... But let's learn from it. Let's learn from it. Let's learn from it. Let's hold each other accountable. But let's bring a little bit of grace and forgiveness in the yeah. show that was COVID. Yeah. First correction. They were not all operating on imperfect information. Some of them were manufacturing that false information. One of those guys was Andrew Cuomo that that professor pointed to. He was sitting right on the panel. Andrew Cuomo intentionally cooked the books and lied to everyone to hide his own negligence. And he was just one of many liberals who did that. But to the professor's broader point, yes, we should, of course, have the charity to forgive people from our hearts. We should also have the prudence to deprive those people of the power that they abused. And we should prosecute them whenever possible for the abuses and crimes that they committed for which they have thus far faced zero consequences. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. A dangerous communist leader just met with Xi Jinping, the leader of China. That would be Gavin Newsom, who wants to take Joe Biden's job. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, though, the lies that we saw during COVID, that we all lived during COVID, that we all had to suffer under during COVID, were based on fantasies, on preposterous little rituals and superstitions. The notion that putting a hanky on our face would stop the spread of a contagious airborne virus. The the notion that standing six feet away, not five feet, 11 inches, not six feet and one inch, six feet away, that would prevent us from giving this disease to one another. The notion that if you got the magical experimental injection that you would not contract COVID, you would not spread COVID, you would not. Then we found out, no, actually, you can contract it and you can spread it. But okay, now we're being told that it's it's a good way to prevent you from getting extra super duper sick or whatever. It just kept being proven wrong. And people kept taking more and more of the drugs. Maybe it'll work this time. Maybe it'll work that time. Total superstition. And now... Those libs who spent years peddling those superstitions have the audacity to make fun of conservatives for being religious, for for having ordinary traditional religion that has endured through the millennia. Jen Psaki, 
is attacking Mike Johnson, the new conservative leader of the House of Representatives, because Mike Johnson is a Christian. The Bible doesn't just inform his worldview, it is his worldview. In fact, during his first speech in his new job, Johnson suggested that his election as speaker was an act of God. Talk about a bit of a humble brag there. So what exactly has God apparently called on Mike Johnson to do? Well, his views on policy are essentially what you'd expect from a religious fundamentalist. They're more divisive than they are divine. So this reminds me, obviously, of when Dianne Feinstein, RIP, uh, made fun of Amy Comey Barrett and attacked her by saying that she, she feared that the dogma lived loudly within her. The implication being that a Catholic should not be on the Supreme Court. Maybe a fake Catholic is okay, like a Joe Biden type or a Nancy Pelosi type, but a, an actual practicing Catholic uh, should not be permitted on the Supreme Court. Uh, this reminds me of when Joy Behar mocked Mike Pence, I think it was, for, it was, it was some conservative at least, for uh, believing that he would speak with God. And he said, oh, Joy Behar said, that's, that's crazy. Maybe you can pray to Jesus, but once Jesus starts talking back, then that's when you got to worry. Like, like a, anyone who prays is a crazy person. And you see that same kind of ignorance here with Jen Psaki. He says, this, this guy, he thinks, this, this man who is in a position of civil authority, he thinks he was, he was placed there by God, which is a, a very basic Christian belief. St. Paul writes about this in the letter to the Romans that the civil authority is given to us by God for the execution of justice and for our own good. If you are a Christian of any sort, you most certainly believe in providence, the notion that, that God has a plan that unfolds throughout history. Ours is a very historical religion. It, in fact, there's a pivot of history known as the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection. This is like Christianity 101, folks. And, and what's shocking here is not that a liberal would make fun of Christianity. They tend to be opposed to Christianity. In fact, the very terms left and right come from the French Revolution when the Christians sat on the right side of the National Assembly and the revolutionaries and the atheists and the liberals sat on the left side of the assembly. So that's been baked in for a long time. What's, what's shocking is the ignorance and the kind of proud, glib ignorance that she would, she would mock this guy for being a Christian when she clearly doesn't understand the first thing about Christianity. And then there's this final little irony here, which is that the, the liberals are so irate at the notion of of religious politics. One, they are as super, the liberals themselves are as superstitious as they come. They think that a man can become a woman and they think that a baby can magically cease to be a baby when the mother doesn't want him. But, but beyond that, they, they suggest that they hate the idea of religious politics. And let me, I promise you to any liberals who might share that view who are listening to the show right now, if you think religious conservatism is bad, just wait until you see irreligious conservatism. If you think politics informed by true religion broadly is, is not a great thing, just you wait until you see irreligious politics. Just you wait to see how bad things can get because everybody's got to serve somebody. So if you're serving God, if you're orienting your society and your personal life toward the good, you're going to fail. It's a fallen world, but you'll be headed in the right direction. 
If you're just turning away from all that and you throw morality aside and you ignore God and you, you pursue only that which is evil and convenient, man, things can get bad real fast. Which is why, coincidentally, providentially perhaps, I'm excited to tell you about Christian care ministry. Right now, go to metashare.com slash Michael. As a Daily Wire listener, you are informed and engaged and handsome. You value your freedom, your way of life, your personal responsibility. That's why you got to check out Metashare. Metashare is a community-based approach to healthcare that lines up with the principles you believe in. Your beliefs matter. And with Metashare, your healthcare dollars will not be used for medical procedures that don't line up with what you believe in. Metashare is the highest-rated healthcare sharing ministry with a 30-year proven track record. Members save up to 50% or more on their monthly healthcare costs, and member satisfaction surveys show that they like Metashare much more than health insurance. Why? Because it works. For a limited time, Daily Wire listeners will receive a $150 gift card when they join Metashare. To find out more, go to metashare.com slash Michael. That is metashare.com slash Michael. Terms and conditions apply. Do not wait. Head on over right now. Get that $150 gift card when you join. It is metashare.com slash M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Now, what exactly did Mike Johnson say that Jen Psaki doesn't like? Mike Johnson said that he believes he's in the position of speaker as a matter of providence. He prays to God openly, even on the floor of the House of Representatives. And he did just say something that has gone viral that is a little theologically suspect, which is uh, that he grounded his support for the nation state of Israel, his unwavering support for the nation state of Israel, in religion. In the week ahead, House Republicans will work swiftly to pass legislation to provide Israel much-needed resources in their fight against these barbaric terrorists. We will stand with Israel strongly. There will be a ceasefire only when Hamas ceases to be a threat to Israel. Israel, Israel and the U.S. enjoy an unbreakable bond that's forged over decades, of course, of bilateral assistance. And there are lots of reasons that we do that. They are obviously our greatest ally in the Middle East, and clearly they are one of our most important friends. And the Prime Minister called me, and I, I used those very words myself. I said, I said, Bibi, it's good over evil. It's, it's, um, it's light over darkness. We all see that. I assure the Prime Minister of our unwavering or wavering support of Israel and her people, and I assured him that our Congress, and under my leadership, we will be there until the end. We will be there until the end of this conflict. As, as, a, as, a, as a Christian, I know and we believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that we're to stand with Israel, that God will bless the nation that blesses Israel, that we're to pay for peace of Jerusalem. Exactly. So that's the part that's a little bit theologically eccentric, the conflation of the people of Israel in the Bible with the modern secular nation state of Israel. It's a view that's held by some people, uh, and it's, it's a view grounded in a relatively novel uh, theological belief called dispensationalism, which is a, a distinction between Israel and the church, the traditional Christian view that endured for the first, endured basically without challenge for the first 1800 years or so of, of Christianity and the church is, is uh, a, a conflation of Israel and the church, the notion that with the new covenant, you get uh, a new Israel, the notion that uh, Christ is the fulfillment of the law, that the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So that's been broadly the view. Uh, there are some views, especially popular among some evangelicals, especially in America, that this is distinct. And so then you see a uh, 
this, as, as Mike Johnson says, unbreakable support for the modern secular nation state of Israel. Okay, I, I understand why some people are raising their eyebrows theologically there. And the other reason, putting religion aside for a second, is that listening to the speeches of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, many great statesmen in American history, a lot of people rightly are skeptical of enduring unbreakable alliances between the United States and any other nation state, period, anywhere in the world. We should avoid entangling alliances, and we should have strategic alliances, but but not to say that these are uh, totally unbreakable and enduring for all time. Okay, I understand that reservation as well. However, Mike Johnson is doing something really clever here, which is by going down so hard on protecting the state of Israel. One, he's saying we don't stand for terrorism. We don't, we're not going to tolerate attacks like the horrific attack that Hamas carried out on Israel a few weeks ago. But he's also decoupling aid from to Israel and to Ukraine. So what Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden and the Uniparty in D.C. wanted to do was they wanted to pass a massive defense bill that would fund the war in Ukraine and the war in Israel and potentially a war in Taiwan. Now, support for Israel is still, even with the pro-Hamas students running around Harvard Yard, is still quite popular in the United States. Support for Ukraine is a little more 50-50. In fact, it's actually less than 50-50 at this point. Most Americans do not want to continue supporting the war in Ukraine. And Taiwan remains to be seen what Xi Jinping does. Uh, If Mike Johnson can go really hard on supporting the state of Israel and providing war funding for the state of Israel and saying, this is going to be the first bill we pass. This is the most important thing we do. All of a sudden now, he's ended that financial support for the war in Ukraine, which which is, is not just because we don't like Ukrainians or anything like that, but it's because people have rightly recognized that the breakout of the first major war in Europe since World War II threatens to send the entire world into another global conflict, into World War III, and this is extraordinarily dangerous, and the Ukraine situation is quite complicated, as it has been for at least um, a millennium or so, and the longer this war drags on, the more innocent Ukrainians are going to be killed, Uh, the more Russian soldiers are going to be killed, which the U.S. views as a strategic victory. But there's basically no chance that Ukraine wins the war unless the United States comes in as a direct belligerent, which would be completely disastrous. So I think it's actually a pretty clever move here by Mike Johnson, even if some of the political and theological claims are uh, a little suspect to a lot of people. Now, speaking of this conflict in the Holy Land, speaking of Hamas, the leader of Hamas has just come out and made a statement that actually sends chills down the spines of even the most hardened political observers. Here's what he said. I have said this before, I say it time again. The blood of the women, children, and elderly, I'm not saying that this blood is calling for your help. We are the ones who need this blood. We are the ones. So it awakens within us the revolutionary spirit. So it awakens within us resolve. So it awakens within us the spirit of challenge and pushes us to move forward. He's saying, no, 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 don't don't mistake my meaning here. I'm not saying that the blood of these innocent Palestinian women and the elderly and children 
are calling out for revenge against the Israelis. No, 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 we need their blood. We, Hamas, we, the Palestinian liberation movement, we need their blood so that it can awaken in us a revolutionary fervor. This is very, very demonic stuff. Uh, But it's not uniquely demonic. This is always the argument of the revolutionaries, of revolutionaries going back centuries. They say, we need this kind of devastation. We need this kind of carnage to to get our own blood up, to awaken within us the revolutionary fervor, to commit acts that are obviously immoral and unconscionable. We need to be sent out of our minds so that we can convince ourselves to commit terrorism, so that we can go target civilians for the great revolution that heretofore our conscience and the political order has prevented us from achieving. This is the same kind of rhetoric. It's, it's, this is somewhat more eloquent, but it's the same kind of rhetoric that you heard from the black power movement in the 1970s, from the radical leftists like the Weather Underground in the 1960s and 70s. This is the same kind of rhetoric you hear from Antifa and BLM and all the rest of the revolutionary left. And, and this kind of uh, rhetoric here also helps to explain why Bibi Netanyahu, as the leader of the state of Israel, has not encouraged the strength of Hamas in Gaza, but not totally discouraged it either over his now many governments. Uh, you, You may have seen this meme going around that Netanyahu, that the state of Israel was the one propping up Hamas. And that's somewhat dishonest, but there is a grain of truth to that, which is that the Netanyahu government and this has been widely reported throughout Israeli journalism, and I see it as a pretty wise political strategy, in fact. They decided that the way to prevent Palestinian statehood, which the state of Israel views as an unacceptable solution, at least Netanyahu views it as an unacceptable solution, is to split off the West Bank from Gaza. So you've got these two Palestinian territories that are separated by the state of Israel, and if they have a unified government, then the cause for Palestinian statehood is relatively strong, especially given all of the international support that it receives, including from the UN. So if the West Bank and Gaza are being run by the Palestinian Authority, which is viewed as relatively moderate, the cause for Palestinian statehood is relatively strong. If the West Bank and Gaza are being run by even the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, the cause for Palestinian statehood is somewhat strong. But if the West Bank is being run by the so-called moderates of the Palestinian political movement, and Gaza is being run by the most ghoulish, demonic terrorists you could possibly come up with in a Hollywood cartoon, then there is no cause for Palestinian statehood. If, If Gaza is being run, if Gaza will elect someone like that guy who is saying, we demand the blood of women and children and the elderly, then it's a complete non-starter. But it, but it was a dangerous strategy for Netanyahu because it does embolden Hamas then as the leaders of Gaza. And then you see horrific terrorist attacks like you saw on October 7th, which is a, 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 obviously a very hot debate within Israel right now. Although amid the fog of war, which, which Netanyahu is now calling an existential war, a second war for independence, uh, he'll probably maintain some support. But that guy, I mean, that that demoniac there that you hear calling for the blood of the innocents, that guy is the argument against Palestinian statehood. And as long as he remains prominent in power, I don't see how anyone could really make a counter-argument. Now, when you want to 
pay attention to lighter things in your life, when you want a little levity, a little joy, you probably turn to things like your sweet little dog. And when you want your dog to be healthy, you got to check out Rough Greens. Right now, go to roughgreens.com slash Michael. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Dog food may as well be considered dead food since it contains very little nutritional value. Let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You just need to sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs too. Naturopathic doctor Dennis Black is so confident that Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He is offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. Get a free Jumpstart trial bag delivered straight to your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Michael or call 844-RUFF-123. That is ruffgreens.com slash Michael or call 844-ROUGH-123 today. Remove the unpleasant taste of woke from your Halloween candy. Get Jeremy's chocolate instead. We decided you deserve a treat for dealing with all the woke around you. That is why for Halloween, we are giving you 30, 30% off Jeremy's chocolate. That means our famous he, him with nuts and she, her nutless are 30% off. Get yours in full size or our shareable microaggression size. Perfect for giving out to friends, family, and neighbors. Time is running out. Today is your last chance to get 30, 30% off your Jeremy's chocolate. Go to jeremyschocolate.com today. Speaking of dividing and conquering, there is a new Democrat in the race against Joe Biden. And it's not the kind of woo-woo, new-agey lady Marianne Williamson, and it's not the fairly eccentric, quasi-populist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. This is an ordinary Democrat congressman. Are you running for president? I am. I have to. I think President Biden has done a spectacular job for our country, but it's not about the past. This is an election about the future. I will not sit still. I will not be quiet in the face of numbers that are so clearly saying that we're going to be facing an emergency next November. This is Congressman Phillips. I don't even know what his first name is, but he's a a fairly wealthy congressman. And most interestingly, he's not Bobby Kennedy Jr. This is not a guy who's running for president because he says, Joe Biden's gone crazy or Joe Biden pushed the wrong policy, or Joe Biden this or Joe Biden that. This is a guy who voted with Joe Biden 100% of the time. According to analyses, Phillips has voted with Joe Biden's stated public policy positions 100% of the time. This makes him more liberal than average in the 117th Congress when predictive scoring is used. So Bobby Kennedy He differs from the Democrats on an issue like uh, vaccines. Bobby Kennedy differs from the Democrats, even on other policy issues, in that he is somewhat more moderate on immigration, somewhat more moderate, perhaps, on abortion, somewhat more moderate even on energy, though at other times he's also been extremely environmentalist. But, But Kennedy is running as a 1960s Democrat, and the party's obviously moved far to the left since the Kennedys. 
This guy's not. This guy is just running as Joe Biden, but younger and more competent. A mainstream left-wing Democrat running against Joe Biden's age and frailty. That means that actual Democrats are smelling blood in the water and they're looking at Biden's approval rating and they're thinking, hmm, maybe we won't be able to rig this thing up quite so well to overcome the gap in enthusiasm that Joe Biden is going to face. So now we've got a few Democrats and one serious Democrat running against Biden. And there's another one waiting in the wings because Governor Patrick Bateman over there from California, Mr. Newsom, has just, for some reason, met with Chinese Communist Party Chairman Xi Jinping. So Newsom makes a little trip to China, you know, just a little jaunt overseas, and takes pictures, smiling, dealing with Chairman Xi. He says that he's there to push for climate cooperation. Uh, But now, because the U.S. and China are potentially hurtling toward a conflict if we do end up in World War III, this is seen as uh, a little bit more serious. It's similar to when uh, Ron DeSantis, as governor of Florida, took a Florida business-sponsored trip to East Asia. And everyone knew he was only doing that to give him some foreign policy cred when he ran for president. The same thing applies here with Newsom. Newsom has been even less subtle than DeSantis was before he declared his run for president. Uh, Governor Bateman over here just recently told Politico regarding the Israel-Palestine conflict, I wish I was president of the United States. And this is how Politico reports it. I wish I was president of the United States, he said sarcastically, before clarifying that he was joking. I could start doing all those things, whatever needs to get done in Israel-Palestine. And I love Politico carrying the water. Oh, yes, he said this sarcastically. The extremely ambitious politician who's been raising money like he's running for president, who's been traveling all around the country like he's running for president, who's going to have a debate with the number two guy who's running for the Republican nomination for president, who just visited China to meet with the leader of China, our number one geopolitical adversary in the entire world. Yeah, that guy, he's just being sarcastic. He's just joking. (laughs) It's just a joke. He just wishes he could be president as a joke because he'd do a much better job than Joe Biden as a joke, as a joke. This guy is effectively running for president already. Now, the difference between someone like Congressman Phillips and Governor Newsom is Congressman Phillips is just going to run. He's going to openly challenge Joe Biden. Uh, He doesn't have much of a shot ever to succeed at running for president. So, okay, why not go all in? Newsom is considered a relatively top-tier candidate for president. If not this cycle, then next cycle. If not next cycle, then maybe even the following cycle. So he's got more to lose here. So Newsom's not going to openly pit himself against Joe Biden. He's just going to run. He's just going to effectively run. He's going to do all the things other than declare that candidates do when they're running for president. And he's basically going to hope that Joe Biden slips and falls. Hate to say it, I don't wish ill on the president whatsoever. I especially don't because I don't want Gavin Newsom waiting in the wings. But that Gavin Newsom is running a campaign that can only succeed if Joe Biden is actually incapacitated and unable to run for president. That's what Governor Bateman does. Now, speaking of people who remind me of serial killers, there's an actual serial killer, uh, this Ohio woman who was just charged in connection to the deaths of at least four men that she had met for sex. 
This according to the cops here. It could be more men. Her name is Rebecca Auburn. She's only 33 years old, clearly lived a little bit of a hard life if you look at her mugshot. Uh, she's accused of robbing and fatally drugging victims in January, April, two in April, one in June, according to a joint statement from the Attorney General of Ohio and the Columbus Police Chief. And here is what the AG said. AG said, don't buy sex in Ohio. It ruins lives and could cost yours. Obviously true. So the woman was a hooker, I guess, and these sad sack men were paying her for sex and they wind up getting killed for their trouble. Which underscores a point that I've made for some years now against legalizing or decriminalizing sex work, against the hookup culture, against swipe right culture. It is better to sleep with people you know. And it is even better to sleep with people you like. And it is best of all to sleep with your spouse. <laughs> and that, I guess, is controversial today. That is, in fact, that is controversial. If, if, if I were running for office and I said, hey, I used the Norm MacDonald line. I said, hey, sex is obviously a filthy, shameful thing that's only meant for procreation and you should only do it with your wife. If I came out and said that, the Jen Sakis of the world, the, the liberal commentators, the Democrat politicians, they would laugh at me. They would call me crazy. They would mock me. They would pretend that my view was totally fringe. That is the view that has been held by most people in most civilized places on earth for all of human history. And it's been mocked in recent years. And then even the Attorney General of Ohio, then even some of the liberal media, if they report on that story, they're going to have to admit it's true. It's the old, what Rudyard Kipling called the gods of the copybook headings. The, the, the knowledge that we've all had for so many years that the radicals and the revolutionaries overthrow and they say, oh, our ancestors, our grandparents and all the people before them, they, they were just dumb idiots. They didn't know anything. We, we've invented the world anew. It's all different now. And men can be women and babies don't have to be babies. And all the old rules no longer apply, but they do. The rules keep coming back because <laughs> it's not up to you. It's up to reality. Okay. And the more that you twist your political ideology away from those sometimes inconvenient, sometimes undesired facts of reality, the more likely you will be to find yourself a victim, a victim of political chaos, or in this case, a victim of a uh, serial killing psycho hooker. Speaking of famous women, Taylor Swift is now a billionaire. She's become a billionaire because of that concert tour that she went on last year, the Eras Tour. I, other than on this show when my producers have made me do it, I don't think I've ever consciously listened to a Taylor Swift song. I'm sure I would recognize some of them if I, if they came on the radio, but I, the, the one that comes to mind is, is, uh, I'm the problem. It's me. Cause we did it on the show, but I, I, I just haven't paid attention to Taylor Swift. And yet when she launched her tour and I came into the office, all the girls in this office were on their computers. This is, I don't know what it was, right, at, right after my show, first thing in the morning, they're refreshing Ticketmaster because they've got the American Express extra pass to, to buy the tickets early and the tickets were a bazillion dollars and they were, they were so excited. So what? I had friends of mine, 
female friends, very serious women, very normal people, went crazy for Taylor Swift, paid lots of money and inconvenienced themselves to go see the show. I didn't get it. But obviously, 50 million Frenchmen can't be wrong. The, the tour has brought Swift's net worth to $1.1 billion, according to Bloomberg. Why is it? I think, I'll expand on this. I'll even expound on this in, in the coming days and weeks. But I, I think the reason that Taylor Swift is singularly successful, probably the most powerful woman on earth right now, is because she's basically normal. She is pretty. She's not, she's not a runway model. She's pretty. She sounds pleasant. She's not, uh, not Mozart. Okay? She's not Pavarotti, but she sounds pleasant enough. To- totally inoffensive. She doesn't have a ton of tattoos. She doesn't have crazy hair. She doesn't have a million weird piercings. She's just, she doesn't go screech and scream. All the, if she has political views, they're relatively mildly stated. She just, she's just normal and nice, and pleasant. And for much of our nation's history, that would have made Taylor Swift totally unexceptional. No one would know her name. But at this moment, which is so absurd, which is so insane, which is so divorced from reality, just a little bit of normal is refreshing and desired. And if you are that normal person, you can make a billion dollars, apparently. Speaking of what people want, there is a new number two candidate in Iowa for the Republican Party, and that would be Nikki Haley, who in the picture on the screen is wearing a sweater that I own. It's one of my favorite sweaters. It's that cool Ralph Lauren flag sweater. And Nikki Haley also looks good, sounds good, is basically inoffensive. She doesn't fire up the base necessarily, but she is firing up a portion of the GOP that desires some kind of return to normal. And this is really bad news for DeSantis because DeSantis was the number two guy in Iowa. Trump still has a big lead, but the DeSantis campaign was doubling down, moving a lot of their campaign staff and resources to Iowa. And so the news that Nikki Haley is now tied with him in Iowa is not going to be welcome. Why is it? Why is DeSantis failing to catch fire? I really like Ron DeSantis. I think he's a good guy personally. I think he was a great governor. I think he'd make a good president. Why is he not catching on? Because, you know, I hate to say I told you so, but it's because of what I've observed as DeSantis' biggest challenge from the beginning, which is that his candidacy was pitched as Donald Trump without the baggage. And Trump without the baggage only works if Trump is not in the race. Because if Trump is in the race, people are going to want the original. Even if new Coke tastes better than old Coke, people want the OG. They want the Coca-Cola classic. So for the people who like Trump and they like the ways in which Trump changed the GOP and, in in my view, returned the GOP to something much more traditional, much more in line with its own history. But if you kind of like that, and even if you think that Trump, he tweets too much, he says crazy things, whatever, you're still probably going to be with Trump. Maybe some people will spin off, but you're still still probably going to stick with Trump. And if you don't like Trump, then you're going to hate Trump without the baggage. Because Trump without the baggage, the the pitch at least, is that it's just a more effective version of Trump with all the same priorities and with all the same potential achievements, maybe even more achievements in that direction, which you don't like because you are opposed to 
Trump. You were opposed to the ways in which Trump changed the Republican Party. So where does that leave you? The pitch of it was, Ron DeSantis is the best of all worlds. And I, I think the guy would be terrific. But the reality on the ground, as some of us predicted, and is, is this being borne out in the polls now, not just with Trump's numbers, but with the other candidates' numbers, is that it leaves you without a constituency because your natural base is going to your chief opponent. And the people to whom you're trying to also appeal so you get a little bit broader slice of the electorate is going to go to someone who is totally distinct from the front runner. So it leaves you now in second place, but who knows how much longer. And Nikki Haley, who many people were calling to drop out of the race early on because they said she doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell, she's out of touch with the current GOP base, I always thought she might have a bit of a shot because she's offering an alternative. She's offering a distinct view to Trump, which could, which could at least have some runway. Now, my favorite comment yesterday is June Turner, 8331, who says, I'm a boomer and I never want to see sex scenes. I agree with Gen Z. Oh, yes. In response to this survey that showed that Zoomers are less interested than older generations in seeing sex in movies. That's true. You're one of the reasonable boomers. There are reasonable boomers, reasonable Gen Xers, reasonable millennials, but it's a minority. It's a, dis- it's a distinct minority, a remnant, if you will. Now, also in Iowa, also in the GOP primary, Tim Scott is pinning his candidacy on Iowa. In fact, he's come out and said that, that he is running on Iowa or bust. That's one of the reasons why we're heading to Iowa and staying there consistently, because we realize that, historically speaking, Iowa voters, they break late in the cycle, and that's great news. Having an opportunity for us to continue to share our message and to do it uh, full-time in Iowa will be very helpful. And also, we, we have to remember historically, uh, 2011, 2015, it was Herman Cain and Ben Carson were leading in the Des Moines Register poll. So we are excited about where we are. We have made the decision that it's Iowa or bust for us, and I'm looking forward to being there. Iowa or bust. And so his argument is Tim Kaine was leading in 2012. So just because Trump is leading now or DeSantis or Haley, don't forget Tim Kaine, not Tim Kaine, (laughs) he was almost the second woman president. Uh, Herman Kaine was leading in 2012. And then what happened? Then Rick Santorum won. And I love Rick Santorum, and it would have been great if he were president, but he wasn't. He didn't, he didn't get the nomination. Mitt Romney did. So if the argument is, look, some other guy was leading in 2012, but then another guy beat him, and we're going to be that guy who beat him, but the guy who beat him didn't win the, the primary. What happened in 2016? Ben Carson was leading in 2016. Oh, yeah? And then what happened? And then Ted Cruz won Iowa, and then he lost the Republican nomination. Oh, well, that's no good. Okay, let's expand it out a little bit. What happened in 2008? In 2008, I don't know who looked like he was leading, but then Mike Huckabee won Iowa. And then what happened? Then John McCain won the nomination. What happened in 2000? That was the last time in a a Republican primary that the guy who got the nomination actually won in Iowa. So this doesn't seem like a great strategy for Tim Scott if he wants to be the nominee. But presumably, Tim Scott is not running to be the nominee. The numbers just don't bear it out. But Tim Scott's a very talented politician. He's a nice guy. So it would seem to me that his strategy right now is just stay in the race as long as possible. And a win in Iowa would allow him to stay in the race longer. 
And so then some of the, the also-rans will drop out. He'll be in a stronger position. Then, assuming he doesn't have this breakthrough moment, when he does endorse the eventual nominee, he'll have more leverage. He could maybe get a cabinet position. He could maybe be considered as a running mate. That is what it seems he is running for. I don't think, Tim Scott's a smart guy. His campaign staff, I'm sure, sure is smart. They must be hearing their own argument. And if their own argument is, no, look, we're going to be like Rick Santorum in 2012. We're going to be like Ted Cruz in 2016. Then the argument is, we're not going to be the nominee. Now, speaking of people making choices, like in elections, we're going to turn our attention to someone who refuses to make choices. That would be the non-binary teacher who has just gone viral on TikTok for begging for money to buy weird sex books for kindergartners. Hi there. My name's Katie, and I'm a non-binary teacher. This isn't what I'd normally wear to teach, but we're closed down today for cleaning. Thanks, COVID. But anyway, I wanted to show you guys a little something and tell you about a project that I'm doing. So follow me. This is my classroom. I'm pretty fond of it. It's looking a little spare right now, but we're in a bit of a transition as far as holidays go. And this is my classroom library. And as you can see, it has a lot of books, but there's one big problem with it. None of them look or act or feel like me. So you can help by going to the link in my profile and donating to my Donors Choose project to get more LGBTQ plus friendly books in our school from kindergarten all the way to eighth grade. Thanks. Next time the libs tell you that that isn't happening, just send them the, the video of a teacher in her classroom. I don't think it's an elaborate set. I think she's a real teacher. I think it's a real classroom. Not just saying we want weird sex books for high school seniors. No, no, no. We want, high, we want weird sex books for elementary school students, for kindergartners. We don't just even want it in the library down the hall. We want it in the classroom. That's what she's calling for. What do we do about this? The only option that we have politically, look, you can pull your kids out of school. You can homeschool if you're able to do that. You can send them to private school if you can afford that. But most people can't. Most people have a real hard time with that, especially in our economy, which for a lot of people requires two incomes to maintain the standard of living that is usual today. So what do we do? We've got to be political about it. We need to take political action, not just personal action. The only political answer here is to discriminate against these people. This woman needs to be fired for advancing her political ideology, her sexual political ideology in the classroom. She needs to be overtly discriminated against for that reason. And we don't like the D word. We don't like to say discrimination, but discriminating just means Discerning, it just means making choices. It means seeing distinctions between things and then acting upon those and choosing one thing over the other. And all reasonable people will acknowledge that it is wrong to put weird sexual propaganda in front of five-year-olds. All normal people know this. If this were my kid that this woman were doing this to, I would, I would blow a gasket. I would have steam coming out of my ears. Who knows? what I would be yelling at the walls. And then, but then I would take political action. And the only way to take political action would be to undo the expansion of the civil rights laws that we've seen in recent years. We have civil rights laws to pr- prevent black people from being discriminated against in public accommodations. And somehow in recent years, that has become 
expanded to the point that we're not allowed to say that uh, men can't really become women, and we're not allowed to say that you shouldn't peddle sexual propaganda in front of five-year-olds and groom kindergartners. But we've obviously got to roll that back, and we have got to uh, impel people who, for whatever reason, get their jollies by by sexually grooming five-year-olds like this disturbed woman in the kindergarten classroom, we need to uh, make it clear that communities have the right to say no to that and to kick that woman out of the classroom. And maybe not, maybe arrest her, but even if we don't arrest her, we say, go have a good life, go work some nice job. You can do whatever job you want, but you can't groom the little kids. That can't be part of your job. Now, fittingly, it's Trans Tuesday. So the rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.